You know, I've had the kind of career people would pluck out eyeballs for, but then I've got like these drawers stuffed with all these dreams that are like, like uh, they're about to like, like crusty old, you know, like paper or photographs. They're going to disintegrate if I don't get to it. Is that it? So when this week's guest, Sherry Salata, left her post as the co-president of the Oprah Winfrey Network last year, for the first time in more than two decades, she actually didn't know what was coming next. She started with Oprah in the mid-90s, rode that wave with her until she became actually the executive producer of the show and headed up the Harpo Network as a president, and then made the jump with her to own and helped build that entire network. Until she hit a point where she started to realize that she has had the most extraordinary career surrounded by the most extraordinary people and working with incredible, incredible personalities, including Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. And yet she hit a point where in her mid-50s, she started to ask questions about what was she here to do and who was she here to be and what was this next leg of her adventure? What was the story that she wanted to tell moving forward that led her to leave the career behind? and start a new adventure that she calls Story with a dear, dear friend of hers, Nancy Halla. They also produce a podcast called This Is 50 and some other really fun properties. And of course, we'll link to those. But I wanted to sit down with her and explore her journey and some of the big moments in that journey. And then also spend some time with her as she's kind of in this interesting space of experimentation and exploration and trying to figure out what does this next part of the story look like? I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important 
So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. I left college and I, I didn't want to just go back to Chicago. I felt like, but, but I also didn't have a rock solid plan and I hadn't, I'd spent my senior year having lots of fun and not doing a lot of interviewing. And I I was a marketing major. I had a business degree. So I just took off and moved to Dallas, Texas. Ah, did not know that part of the story. (laughs) Without a job. Without a job, with without a plan, and with about $50 in my pocket, I ended up typing in the legal pool at a title company. Deeply fulfilling work. Deeply fulfilling. <laughs> well, and, and like, you know, this is, this is actually, not only is it my Achilles heel, but also one of my great strengths is that I just want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. So I would make the best of it. I'm going to be the best typist in this typing pool. And, you know, then I'd get promoted. And it would only be after I started, like misery started to seep in my bones that I'd be willing to make a change. And I did that, oh, until I was 28 years old. And then I had to start all over again. So what what was the drive inside of you? Because it's, it's clearly still there today. But what, I mean, the seed was just like, it seems like really just an elemental part of you from the earliest days. I think it was two things, maybe three. And I don't know which one is stronger because they all seem to have been fulfilled. But I had a real drive for significance. I wanted like something dazzlingly creative. And I also yearned for that meaning piece. Once I was in that 40, 50 hour um, a week, whether I was typing, I also worked at 7-Eleven. I delivered a baby in a parking lot. I, you know, I, I had quite a few experiences and I was always, I, I felt like I was always looking for that meaning part. Like, I'm, I'm like, this is going to have to matter somehow to me more so than just, I love my coworkers or I'm moving ahead or I'm helping customers, or I can clean a slurpy machine, you know, as good as anybody. But that meaning piece was a real driver for me. How far, if you, if you kind of like close your eyes and think back, how far back into your, how, how young can you trace that as something that you were aware of? Well, I think as a kid, I somehow got a few things confused. I confused worthiness with accomplishment because I, you know, I was the first grandchild on both sides of my family so that you get lots of attention. You know, you sneeze and everybody's like, you know, it's, you know, like, you know, standing ovation. So I I think that there can be something a little confusing about that. You know, why are there 10,000 pictures of me and and two of my youngest cousin? Because, you know, by that time, you're like, we got tons of pictures of kids. But I, you know, there was something that that was a little mm, haywire for me there. So, you know, I'd accomplish something, you know, I'd get straight A's, I'd get, you know, attention and cheers and applause and, and love. And then I'd do this and I'd get that. And, and, and so I think that was kind of a driver in a way. So it was a lot of, it was externally oriented a lot. A little bit. And then I think 
as I started to feel comfortable that I can I can accomplish, I'm an accomplisher, then it was, but that's not going to be enough. It just, it felt like this, you know, never ending quest for what is it? What is it? What is it that I'm I'm really hungering for? And, you know, I kind of landed at the end of the day. Once I had this piece together, the meaning piece, I knew that's what it was. That was very significant for me. Mm-hmm. When did that piece drop? Um, not until the Oprah show. Ah. And, and I, I, that was my second start over. You know, I moved back from Dallas at 27. I, I begged a friend's fiance for, to be a secretary at an ad agency and loved that and, and loved the creativity of it and the filmmaking aspect of it. And I just thought it was so cool. And then at a certain point, that meaning bucket wasn't getting filled. It's like, okay, I am working on a ham commercial or a, you know, a farm fertilizer commercial, you know, or Six Flags commercial. And I'm like, hmm, you know, I could feel that yearning again. And that's when, you know, I was on my next quest, like, what is it going to be? So at 35, I completely started over bottom of the barrel, promo producer, entry level after, you know, trying, you know, trying a at least once and getting rejected, I got that opportunity at the Oprah show. And I was, you know, 10 years older than anybody else. And I had like the bottom of the basement job. Do you remember the first day walking in? Oh, yeah. What is it? It was, it was, it was like I had won the lottery of life. I couldn't believe how good the free coffee was. I, I, I couldn't believe, felt like such a moment of destiny. And I remember thinking, always appreciate it as much as you do right now because I knew what it was and that, you know, lucky for me, you know, so I'd, I'd see, you know, 22 or 23 year olds and they'd be like, rah, 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 and thinking, whoa, you don't even know how great this is. So you come in with just a very different lens, a different worldview, a different experience at I'm that I'm so level. grateful for that. I'm so grateful that I, I got to begin that experience knowing what, what a rich and, and deep opportunity that was, you know, so like, like any of us, you know, you, you start with appreciation, then it's like, you know, you're off to the salt mine or you begin to focus on, you know, the, the, the piddly stuff, the little annoyances and it all of a sudden begins to change the whole experience. And, and you no longer see that beauty and that sense of destiny and that, that wonder, you know, what the way you began. Yeah. At, at coming into that experience at 35, how easy was it for you to sort of step back into that place of beginner mind? Or were you? I mean, I'm making an assumption there, actually. Well, it was new for me. You know, I, I came from advertising where you would spend two months on a 30-second commercial or spot, as we call them, in the TV world. I'd have to churn that out overnight. Plus, in the ad world, I'd have a copywriter, an art director, you know, I was the producer, I'd have this team of people. In the TV world, I had to write the copy, I had to record it with Oprah, I'd have to run to an edit house before we had really expanded in, inside the studio and, and edit it, you know, a 30, a 15, a 10, a 4, and all the different, tag out all the different versions and get it on the feed for the next day. So it was very new for me. Like the the pace of it was like, woo, and let me pretend like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it comes down to it. I think we're all just pretending. So you start to, so you dive into that. How quickly do you know, like this, like this, <laughs> this is different. And this is starting to fill that bucket that wasn't getting filled. Well, one of the jobs of a promo producer is to watch all the shows. So we, I mean, that's what I couldn't believe. They're paying me to watch TV at my desk. I can't even believe it. They're paying me to watch the best show on television at my desk. And we'd take notes and, you know, you know, get time codes and look for sound bites. Instantly, as I start to watch those tapings, I think this is, this. it's like all, all the boxes are checked. And, you know, I'm learning. There's amazing guests coming on. You know, I might be laughing. I might be crying. I'm watching all these life-changing stories. I'm hearing from the best experts and thought leaders and, you know, and, and also obviously learning from and, and and so proud to work for the, you know, one of the greatest talents in television. It was, some, it was something. Nah. How, so you started, this would have been mid-90s, mid to late 90s? Yeah, I, I think it was 95. Okay. I think, 95 or 96. And over a period of, I guess, 15 or so years, you stay there, you build within the organization and end up rising up to sort of like the, basically as high as you can go within the organization. As you sort of chart that journey, what were the defining moments or awakenings or things where you're like, huh, this is different. This is changing me. Well, I, I think you it was never even really considered a real possibility. Like that the jump from the promotions department really didn't happen to the show. So it wasn't something that I would sit around thinking about or really dreaming about. I was a promo producer for a long time, for like eight years until they moved me over. I think, I think just what it was is I just, you know, I was just, I had enough work experience and life experience to be able to see that I wasn't living in the middle of a phenomenon. And I could see the impact that it was having on audiences. And there was such, for everybody, I mean, it was an incredible team of people and such a sense of pride and purpose. And, you know, I'd had a bunch of jobs before then. So I knew that that wasn't, that wasn't a slam dunk everywhere else. So I think that just continued to unfold for me in a deeper way. And and also I would say, you know, I was I was raised Catholic in Waukegan, Illinois, and I still, you know, even even into college was having trouble with that that spiritual piece, like that real connection. And, you know, working at the Oprah show, I'm exposed to everybody, Marianne Williamson and Deepak and just ways of thinking about things in in a quantum vibrational energetic way that I'd never considered. And I think if I were to tell you what was the greatest gift of that time for me was Oprah and the Oprah Winfrey show really gave me a spiritual life. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. So our awesome friends at FreshBooks make ridiculously easy cloud accounting software for freelancers and small business owners who know that making every single moment count is a really important part of getting a lot of stuff done and being able to do the things that they want to do in their business by drastically simplifying things like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online. FreshBooks has 
totally changed the game for now more than 10 million people. You can link your FreshBooks account to your credit card and debit card. So next time you expense, you know, the business stuff or the tank of gas or lunch, it just shows up automatically. They have notifications and awesome customer service. To claim your month-long unrestricted free trial with no credit card required, go to freshbooks.com slash goodlife and enter the Good Life Project in the How Did You Hear About Us section. It's so interesting because you go into something like this and you're like, okay, so this is a career. You know, it's fascinating work, right? And especially somebody who seems to be wired like you are like, okay, let me master this and then this and then this and then this and become the best that you can be at this. And at the same time, the content of what the entire thing is about is sort of like it's working its way into you and changing you in a way that it sounds like you didn't, you weren't, you weren't expecting but you were yearning for. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like my prayers were answered. What, you know, I found what I was seeking. No question about it. So you reach a point where the show is taking off. It's become this huge phenomenon. You're working very closely with Oprah. At some point, there's a decision made that actually this show in, in the format that it was in is going to come to an end. What's happening behind the scenes with you with that and with what's going on? Well, listen, it, you know, it wasn't just, you know, it was always really good to remember. It wasn't just a show. It wasn't just a brand, although it was a show and it was a brand, but Oprah's a person and she gets to decide when it's time. And I had enormous admiration for her stamina because it was no joke. I, you know, for most of the years I was there, it was a phenomenon when I joined. I think I, I started in season 10. So it was already a phenomenon. And, you know, back in those days, I mean, gosh, they were doing 200 shows a year. By the time I was executive producer, the contract called for maybe it was 140. And I thought that was crazy mint. But that was taping like six primetime like full-on, layered, dense tape packages, guests coming in, primetime specials a week is what it felt like. And by that time, you know, the fantastically creative and innovative producers, along with Oprah, who invented everything, they'd done everything. Mm. What, what else is there to do? They'd done everything. Oprah is discerning. She doesn't not want to do the same old thing over and over again. So, you know, I would say those last five years, it was, you know, it was a real, the best kind of creative challenge, but a real challenge to deliver at that, you know, the quality of programming, you know, at the level and, and to do it for Oprah and to do it well. Meanwhile, I mean, what you're describing, that... To, to produce the quantity of show that you're talking about at the lev at the quality level where the bar is the top of the top, like it doesn't get higher than that, has got to be just on a personal level, yeah. all consuming for you as a human being. Yeah. I mean, how like if you zoom the lens out and it's like, okay, so this is Sherry's life, how are you with that? Well, it's not true for everybody. I mean, I marveled at some of the very senior producers who really could handle a lot of different things while they they still delivered, you know, at the highest level. 
for me, it was very all-consuming. I like I had to like give it top attention and really kind of squeeze the rest of my life a little bit to the side or put it a lot of it on pause. Because when I wasn't there, I was thinking about it or fretting about it or is this good enough? Is that good enough? You know, it was it was dense. And for me anyway, there, it was high stress. So, and you know how when something requires so much focus, like that, that churning of, is this idea good enough? Is there a better way to do it? Is this going to work? Is this going to be, is this going to meet our standard? Not just from a production standpoint, but is it right? You know, there, there was nothing worse than, than after a show to be in Oprah's office. And she really feels like in a, from an integrity way that we had missed the mark or from a, like, what was that? That was, that was, those were the toughest moments. How did you deal with that stress? I mean, because it seems like it was high level and it was sustained not just for days or months, but for years. How do you be okay with that? I wouldn't say I did. I, I dealt with that well. I wouldn't say I did at all. I, you know, I, it's, I, I really try to like have no regrets because I know I did the best, the best I could at any time. But I would say my, I, I, there, there were some, tentpole practices I could have really stuck to in my life, which is kind of called practice what you preach because we were producing shows about it all the right. time. I've, I've been in that same yeah. place. It's like, I know what to do. Yes. But somehow, yeah. Yes. You know, sometimes I think when you when you don't have those rock solid stress management techniques, you know, like work out without fail, meditate without fail, like, all, and I knew all that would work. You know, but I'd choose other things like the tombstone pizza at midnight or, you know, like the, the 10 buckets of, of diet soda or too many coffees or just kind of like, I got to keep going. I got to, got to keep going. So that I would say I could do better. If I, if I were to look back on that, that, that would have been, that would have really made the experience even better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so interesting to hear you share that. One of the patterns that I've seen with so many folks who I've had the opportunity to sit down with, and also just in my own life, it, where your the work that you do in the world does light you up on so many levels, and it's deeply convicted and deeply purpose and passion driven, and sometimes that fierce level of alignment can it sustains you so much that it almost masks the hit that we may be taking psychologically or physically because we're getting so much nourishment from that one thing that we kind of just like we tune out whatever the other signals are. I found that in my own body and life. I can see that so clearly now. I can look back and say, wow, that just ate the whole thing up. You know, that was, that was life with some, you know, you know, some, some other, you know, things on the side. I mean, you know, my friends and family could count on me in a crisis, but just on the the day to day, hey, let's get together. Not so much, you know, because I was, you know, it was all consuming. Yeah. So the decision is made. That show winds to an end. The final season has been documented. I'm sure everybody's seen it. Well, and, uh, um, <laughs> we did a reality is, show. Yeah, on right. It. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's it seems like it was a wild wrap up. Insane, insane, insane. And so much fun. Right, right. And at the same time, and that and still, that's not 
the end of that chapter. For, well, it's the end of that chapter. It was not quite the end of the Oprah chapter or that sort of right. like, it, it moves into this sort of like evolution of the next entertainment complex revolved around, right. you know, the similar brand. Right. And, and so that was OWN and Harpo Studios was still open. So there was, a, for me, there was a going back and forth and it's a completely different industry. You know, it's it's like for 15 years you've been learning French and now you're in a land that only speaks Chinese. And and yet it's not going to like languorously wait for you to get up to speed. Especially that industry, which is moving ridiculously quickly. Really quickly and, and con- you know, really quickly now. And, and it, it, you know, it's just a whole new planet. And with whole new partners and whole new expectations and not one show, now it's like 8,000 hours of shows. And it felt like, what? I remember thinking at the time, what does this feel like? feels like you're on like a 747, but you, you didn't go to 747 school. <laughs> and now you're, you, have to land, you have to land the plane. That, that is such a growth experience and, and so stretching and ultimately so valuable. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it delicious. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I get it's it. It's so yeah. valuable, but whoa. I mean, it's interesting, too, because the while Oprah was on sort of traditional TV, well, there were certainly shows and topics and moments where there was backlash, but it was generally against a particular point of view or topic. And what was interesting is when, when OWN launched... The first couple of years from sort of like a structure and a format, there was backlash not so much against the top, the topic or the content, but people, I mean, haters gonna hate, right? Yeah. There are people who are like, oh, they, like they've lost it. They're, you know, like their numbers aren't what they used yeah. to be and stuff like that. So there was, there was sort of, there was blowback, but for a different reason and from a different community. I'm, yeah. I'm curious and, and you being, deeply embedded on the business and production side and stuff like that. How did you handle that on a personal level? How did you navigate it? I felt really bad about it because, you know, it was unfair. First of all, I was completely loyal and it hurt my feelings for Oprah. You know, it hurt my feelings. But it was unfair because, you know, the expectations, it was a completely different business. And, you know, it would have been great to like have a quiet little, okay, and here's what we're going to do. And this is going to feel good. Like, you know, any other of those little networks begin and they get their one show going and another. And this just felt, I think the word at the time, it was so long ago. I mean, gosh, I think it's seven years now, but it felt like that, that concept of is it schadenfreude? Is that yeah. the right word? I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but yeah. I, know, I know the concept. Schadenfreude, <laughs> I, think, I think that's what it is. It felt mean. It felt gratuitously mean. It felt like I'm going to take you down because you've been so high up for so long and I'm sick of it. And, and you know, especially when you're, you know, trying to get a handle on a completely new industry and all those moving parts and you're responsible to another partner who is you know, who who was bet on this brand. And it was, that was tough. You know, it was hard like to put on blinders and be like, don't listen to what everybody's saying. Don't read the headlines. Let's just keep one. You know, we had this saying, next right thing, next right thing, next right thing. Yeah. Sometimes that's the only thing you can really do. (laughs) Yes, for sure. It's just like anything. I mean, it's it's like the diagnosis. You know, I, I just... I got an email this morning from a colleague I haven't seen in a long time. And now 
she and her husband are dealing with this horrible diagnosis. And I thought, and the reason I bring that up, because I thought next right thing, next right thing. It's like you got to slow down time, kind of quiet things down and just what's this next right thing? And what's this next right thing? And what's this next right thing? And and I, I've learned not to look up until I feel like things are stabilized. Mm, that's probably good advice for a lot of aspects of life. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Right, you could expand that out for sure. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market eventually you find your footing yeah yeah eventually it takes a couple of years but all the naysayers are proven wrong and in fact traction happens and now there's all these beautiful programming and programs and properties and all this stuff which kind of takes us to this really interesting move for you last year. Take me there. Well, here is here is the big question. And I think I heard this on one of your podcasts. If not now, when? You know, if not now, when? It was, you know, I, I did everything I came to do. And I did it with great joy and great love. And, you know, especially when I was in L.A., I would meet these these like 24 and 25-year-olds who were running their own companies and, 
you know, master of their fates. And I was like, wow, that's really brave. I, I don't think I had that. I didn't have that in me at 24 or 25 back in those days. And I, I felt a, a bit of a longing, you know, to be, to, to, when I, when I write words for them to be in my voice and to, you know, create a vision that's mine and not help grow and execute somebody else's vision, no, no matter how meaningful and spectacular it is. So that's where I find myself. I find myself where the concept, the concept began as a year of radical self-care because that needed attention. You know, that needed attention. I was 56. I couldn't remember the last time I'd been on a date. My health was wildly out of control. I, I, I didn't feel that good. I did not feel very happy. And in a Chardonnay-soaked haze with one of my great friends of many years, Nancy, we'd sat there kicking around like, is this it? She had two children, divorced as well, not with anybody. And it's kind of like, wow, you know, I've, I've had the kind of career people would pluck out eyeballs for, but then I've got like these drawers stuffed with all these dreams that are like, like uh, they're about to like, like crusty old, you know, like paper or photographs. They're going to disintegrate if I don't get to it. Is that it? And we would kind of circle around this idea that, okay, so let's say, let's say I made health and wellness a priority and let's say I made spiritual spirituality and happiness a priority and romance and sex and friends and family. What if those like were on my lifescape, the areas that I, I really, I, I gave as much to as I gave to some of my other things, particularly in the work area. And what if, what if I'm only halfway through my life? You know, what if, there's the whole second half. I don't want to find out at 95 that I wasted 30 years thinking the end was near or that I was done. So that was a huge epiphany for me and for Nancy. And we just kind of said, listen, there is, there's a way to live where everything is integrated, where it feels like one life where, you know, I, I'm never going to have work-life balance. I was a complete failure at it. It's never happening for me. And then I, when I ruminate on it, the concept of balance is kind of a, a recipe for failure in and of itself because you can't be in balance unless you're wobbly. So what, would, what were to happen if I made those pillars, those areas of my life, my so-called work? And... That is what I find myself doing 18 months later. And I feel like everything that I've ever learned, every show I ever watched and took notes on, every aha moment that I ever experienced for myself, I'm now living that in a way that's filled with integrity and, and truth and wholeness. And I, I don't think I've ever been happier than I am right this minute. And just to sort of like round out the story, that a part of that decision was also you 
making a clean break from Oprah and everything. Well, it's not, I, I'm not clean. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing you guys still yes. talk. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of like you actually like playing a, like a huge role. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's totally yeah. over. Yeah. And, and, and good and high time, high time, you know, time for, for new energy, time for new voices, time for new things. I don't really feel like you can, you know, it's kind of like when I moved to LA, I had to make a decision whether I was going to sell my apartment in Chicago. And I loved that apartment. I loved it so much. All the rooms overlooked the lake. It was a vintage apartment. So you can relate. I loved it so much. And I was like, you're going to have to sell it because you can't live with your feet in both worlds. You, you can't make LA your home. You can't dive into it like the deep end of a pool and really soak it up if you're thinking about your apartment in Chicago all the time. So if that's what you mean by that's the clean break, that you have to say yes to this new thing out out front. Yeah, it's like you have to close the door or else because the other one doesn't open until you do. Yeah, you can see it and you can touch it. You can feel it. And appreciate it. And it's good for everybody. Yeah. And, And it sounds like interestingly. Well, let me just ask a question, Ashley. Did you feel like when you closed that door and sort of like took that first real big step into the next one, did it just feel like good? This is right. Was there angst? Was there questioning? Or were you just like, no, I'm I'm on this. Well, I feel like you know, for the first time in twenty years, to really feel a sense of freedom, how I spend my time, what my schedule is, going to the bank to cash a check was a little source of joy for me. Mm-hmm running errands. I mean, those were all things that I I didn't do for years. Was there any melancholy sort of like wrapped around that particular awakening? You're just like, good. You're like, I'm I'm good with how I've spent my time. Yes. No, no melancholy. Because that's what it required. That's what it required. But then it's like you come out and you go, oh my God, the sun's out. There's, you know, it's like, I'd like to go into my bank in Los Feliz, which is a great neighborhood in L.A., on the east side and I call out Alex there's Alex my banker and you know I know everybody's name and that that's such a new experience for me and I revel in it I revel in those little things now and appreciate them so you're I guess about a year into this now yeah right? yeah a little bit more yep I'm in year two okay so you're entering year two and spending a lot of time it sounds like so, so and part of this also was you know like sort of like Sherry's big take care of all aspects of my life adventure. But you also brought up your friend, Nancy, AKA Nance. Yeah, Nance. <laughs> uh, if you listen to the podcast, <laughs> by the way, and we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit too. You guys, it sounds like it's been a lifelong friendship or at least Long a time. grown up life Like 27 friendship. years, yeah. So it's not just your project. There was a whole conversation where you said, like, what would it look like for us to do something together? Both personally, but also professionally. Yeah. Take me there a little bit. Well, again, I mean, not trying to have those really divided boundaries between, I, I don't even call it work anymore. I now, I have re, re-termed that creativity and innovation because I think that that word work is a bit of a trap for me. It's a bit of a trigger. It, it's like, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I'd take my work pail and go punch in. And, <laughs> right. you know, if you're paying me a salary, you can count on me. I'll give you 100%. There's so, all stuff that goes along with the... right. Yeah. And I think when I hear that word work, there's muscle memory in me that's that's about separate. That's my work life. That's my work. So I'm really in that integrated place. I think for for Nancy and I, 
We both love to write. We both love to tell stories. Nancy's a brand strategist and has been writing for years. And how are we going to tell this story about redefining the middle of life? We're talking to ourselves. You know, it's not like we're out trying to like, you know, it's like, hey, it's like, come along if you wish. But we're not really setting ourselves up in any way as big experts. I, I know what a big expert is. I know what those skills are. But it's having the conversation that I most want to have. So I find myself talking to myself all the time. You know, like what matters? What's important? You know, where are you going to focus now? How are you going to be braver here? What more, what new choices are you going to make? Yeah, and, and that also evolves into this thing called story. Okay, so here's a question. If, if you don't use the word work, yes. is story a company or a business or, yes. or what, it, what is it? Because there's this, there is this being, there's an entity yes. that, that you are now moving forward in the world. Yes, which is, you know, it's an LLC. It's, it's story Salata Hala, really. But that is a really good question. And you know what popped it, flashed in my mind? Because I think I've called it a company. We've certainly called it our business. But I think what story really is, is our dream. I think that's more accurate. And honestly, I must tell you, the mad secret to the whole thing is holding it very lightly and kind of letting it become what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Does that come easy to you or hard? Well, I, I would say that one of my... One of my real growth spurts here this last year and a half is to really try to take myself out of that to-do list mentality and to really focus on that being piece. What am I being? What am I being? What am I being? It, and it, you know, it, it begins every day by making transcendental meditation. Listen, it is, it is my greatest, most immediate wish that I that I'm able to do that twice a day for 20 minutes. And I, I continually fall off the curb. But making that as important as a call, a conference call, a deal, a meeting on a TV show, that's new for me. All that stuff would have just gone right to the back burner when, quote unquote, work called. Yeah, I guess it's it's a dream that maybe what that dream looks like is evolving. On, on a daily, on a minutely basis. I mean, there's there's some print stuff. There's some book writing. There's, you know, a website at story.co. We post stories. We have a newsletter. And we're really just doing all of that for, for fun. And then we started the podcast in, in August, which I have such respect for this platform. I didn't know it was this. I didn't know how great this was. Mm where it's just so intimate and so personal, so fulfilling as a content platform. I don't think I understood that. You know, it took me a long time to understand that too. And so real, as you can hear the sirens in the background, like it, like we are clearly sitting in a like little <laughs> home studio in New York City, which some people it, it, it bothers because they want the big broadcast experience. And then other people are like, oh, this is cool because it's like I'm sitting in the room with you and you're in my ears, you're in my head. And it, it just, it feels better. And like you said, it's different. I'm really curious too how it is for you. You spent your entire adult career producing other people being yeah. in front of a camera or behind a mic. Now you're that person. How do you experience that? It's different. And, and here's why. Because I'm not trying to be a star. 
You know, I'm not, this podcast thing is, we're just real people having a conversation. And we're talking about things. If you and I were to meet for coffee and say, hey, somebody said, hey, I think you'd like each other. You guys should meet for coffee. We would be having this conversation. It's the very same conversation. There's nothing fancy pants about it. You know, there's no sweeping agenda of any kind. We'd like people to listen to our stuff. That's great. So it's it's different than that. Maybe because it's audio, I feel very safe and comfortable because if it wasn't, I would probably be like, nah, I'm not, I'm much more comfortable behind the scenes in a way. Yeah. It's funny because I think you and I actually share that to a certain extent in that I'm actually much more comfortable both not on the mic or in front of screens. I love to be kind of like behind the scenes, you know, like pulling strings and making stuff work. But there is something that is really different about this medium. And I think, I almost wonder if it's that sense of realness and intimacy that not only do we get to sort of offer out to the world, but but it's almost like in terms of somebody who who engages with media these days, there's, I feel like broadcast has almost moved really far away from that. And there's this, there's sort of like a human yearning for something realer, a little bit more raw, a little bit more truthful and intimate and podcasting kind of like swept in at just the right moment. And people are grabbing at it and saying, yeah, I'll have more of this. Yeah, it's good. As I continue to sample it. And like I said, I'm very, very new very, very new to this world. You know, I was listening before before I came here this morning to your conversation with Liz Dolan because I know Liz. I've met Liz. I think Liz Dolan is one of the most spectacular human beings on the planet. And I thought, man, I could listen to this all day. And we ha- now have the technology where you can listen to things in your car. You can listen to things when you go for a walk. And I agree. I feel like we want to connect to something. So when I'm talking about being in my 50s and, you know, really understanding that if not, if I don't tell the right story to make the rest of my dreams come true, if I'm not ready to like just really keep dreaming it up and keep going and and really adding juice to those things, then then I just might might as well get a sensible haircut, let my hair go gray, put on sensible shoes, grab a camper, you know, or, you know, offer myself up for babysitting. But that isn't what I want to do. That isn't the life I want to live. And when I, when I just talk about that, like, do I only get one dream career? Is that, have I now eaten my whole piece of pie and the only one I get? Or do I get, do I get to take that and continue to grow and expand and, and eat more from the buffet of possibility? And when I'm talking about that, I can literally see women that I've known for 40 years, I can see their eyes light up. Me too. You know, everybody wants great love and, and maybe you can have three great loves in your life and maybe you can have three dream careers and what else and what's next? And that's kind of an exciting energy to swim in, in your 50s, you know, to kind of really redefine the whole thing for yourself. And so when I look at somebody else being excited by it, that's the energy that propels me forward to keep doing it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Your your whole physical demeanor just changed as like in the last 30 minutes, you're like, boom, we just hit something. It's so clear that there's there's like a radiance attached to this exploration. And, and for you, 
it is really interesting to sort of like see you holding it so loosely and saying you feel clearly like, yes, there is something, but I can't tell you what it is right now, but I'm going to keep doing this every day until it reveals itself. Yeah, it feels really good. It feels really good to let something, to let something take shape, you know, with its own divine timing, you know, and to kind of follow the trail of, you know, I, I've said and, and shared with friends that I really feel like in my early 20s that misery was my compass. Like if I'd get really miserable, it was time to go in a new direction. And it's that's brutal. It's a brutal way to live. I mean, you're you're literally like just putting yourself in chains until your misery is, is so great that you, you must free yourself. What I like to think of now that I'm doing is I'm making happiness my compass as if it's the most important North Star. Like, how does that feel? Does that make you feel happy? Does that feel happy? Does that feel good? And, and it's a choice, but it's also like, is this move in this direction contributing to that energy? Am I, do I feel uplifted or do I feel like, what are you doing? I try to listen to that now. That's new. <laughs> but the smile on your face when you say that tells me it feels it's right. It's new. Yeah. Which is, feels like it's probably a good place for us to come full circle also. So it, we're sitting here in the context of this podcast called Good Life Project. So if I offer that phrase out to you to live a good life, what comes up? Oh, well, my, my, my newest, my most current understanding is that the number one thing I need to tend to is the story I'm telling myself about myself in my own head and the words I'm choosing about it, the narrative I'm building and creating. It's my contribution to world peace. It's my contribution to, in, to, the, to the inspiration of others. It's the one thing that I, I have to control. It's the thing I have to craft to produce you know, to build on. And that story matters so, so dearly. And everything else that I'm ever going to experience in my life, that I'm ever going to contribute to another human soul, that I'm, that I'm ever going to contribute to this planet is very much dependent on my ability to stay focused on doing that very, very well. That's a good life. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we've included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share the Good Life Project love with friends. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action... That's when real change takes hold. See you next time.